I feel like I can, <laughs> I feel like I can almost like in the spirit realm smell gasoline this morning. Like, you ever smell gasoline? It's like nobody, nobody light anything up. <laughs> Am I the only redneck in the room? I, I clean up, I clean up pretty well, but mm. <laughs> you know, you smell it and you're like, don't light something. I, uh, I've, I've blown up too many things. I'm not going to talk about it because my mom's watching this stream and she probably doesn't know about all of them. Um, no. <laughs> I used to be a youth pastor. I think I would have fired me. If I, my dad is so gracious. I probably would have fired me if I was the boss. One, <laughs> one time we were having this bonfire and it just wasn't lighting. We had it in a barrel. And apparently, you know, you got to put like holes in the barrel to give it good enough airflow. I'm like, well, <laughs> a little bit of gasoline won't hurt it that much. Never put gas on the fire. Actually, I'm not going to give you instruction because somebody's going to go do something, and well, Pastor John said so. Um, but uh, let's just say I threw a little, <laughs> I threw just a teeny little cup of gas on there. Immediately, it blew out the bottom of the barrel, and my whole yard caught on fire. <laughs> We were supposed to have a water gun fight. So all the teenagers grabbed water guns and were, they were little. Ones. They're all, you know, trying to put out this fire. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. Then our whole yard is like, half our yard is black. How many know you can tell where fire has been? You don't have to prove where fire has been. It, uh, it proves it for itself. Leonard Ravenhill, who's a general in, in our history and the faith, said, you don't have to advertise a fire. How many of you know if there's ever a fire on the side of the road, it'll back up traffic for miles of people just, whoa. It's, it's not that new, but still, whoa. God's, I smell in the atmosphere like, like it's that flammable this morning. That if you light a match, poof, something's going to explode. I want to talk, I want to just try to talk a few minutes about receiving a touch from God. I want to encourage everybody to do something I don't normally encourage you to do. Grab your cell phone and share the stream because the Lord told me specifically on the live stream there's going to be hundreds of people that are going to get a touch from God. And I'm going to give some scriptures why here in a moment. But how many know that you don't have to be in the same room to receive a touch from God? So if you like, share it real quick. Holy Spirit, we love you. Holy Spirit, we love that we can feel you in the room. I love that I can feel the fear of God in this room. It's, it's not scared, but it's like, where's it going to go? <laughs> do what you want to do. Let me just tell you a couple things that are going to start happening. Prophets are going to begin rising up. 
feel like the Lord's just speaking a couple things. Um, prophets are going to begin rising up in the body of Christ like never before. We need them right now. Churches that have removed the apostolic and the prophetic from their model, if you want to call it that, are trying to figure out what to do right now. Because the apostolic and the prophetic are the ones that hear from heaven. And we need to hear from heaven right now. And you're going to see an uprising, even in this house. You're going to see even prophets will begin to move here. You remember I said this. And we're going to begin to see a big shift. And things are going to happen. But God wants to touch us. And one of the things that I have just begun to realize is that the greatest hindrance to receiving a touch from God, the greatest hindrance is not the devil. The greatest hindrance to not receiving from us, to, uh, the greatest hindrance to receiving a touch from God is us feeling like we don't deserve it. Now, the devil has a big part in that. But the greatest hindrance we have to having a service like we're having this morning where we're going to believe for this room to be touched by the Lord is that people don't feel like they deserve it. I heard Randy Clark say recently, he said that he found that about 80% of people in his services feel like they're unworthy for a touch from God. That's a problem. If 80% of our church is operating from a place where they're not being touched by the Holy Spirit, we're weak. And he wants to make us strong. And I've heard a lot of pastors and ministers and and even very well-known leaders who I honor and do great things for the Lord that just kind of tear apart the idea of inner healing. And they say, all you need is a touch from God and it'll take care of it. Well, that's the problem if 80% of the people think that because of what I have going on, I can't receive a touch from God. Because you're right. A touch from God can do a lot unless you have a wall that's blocking you from receiving a touch from God. This is why inner healing, this is why things getting uprooted in our life. I, I saw it even in the spirit this morning. Um, I, I'll tell you maybe another time what I was seeing, but I just saw the Holy Spirit literally digging into the soil of our hearts. Like, like digging, like looking for the things that need to be removed. But the power to overcome that is to recognize that it's actually by grace that you receive a touch from God. We have to begin to set our eyes on grace. I'm going to give you just a handful of things this morning that are going to be what I believe to be some of the hindrances that I see that derail people constantly from receiving a touch from God. Uh, So many times we're in a service and God is moving and people sit there and they're like, I just don't understand why I'm not receiving. I'm going to give you some what I believe to be super practical things, but at the same time, super powerful. I'm also going to give you six, if we can get to them, six principles. Do me a favor, though. Don't make principles laws. Don't make principles into laws. How many know that we want to know his ways, not just his acts? I want to know how his heart works. And the power to overcome the idea that we're unworthy is really to begin to focus our attention on grace. 
Grace is a big deal. When we begin to focus on grace, we begin to understand that it's really not about performance. A performance-driven church, a performance-driven believer, oh, they work so hard. When he's called you to operate in grace, So we have to begin, so one of the things that we have to begin to overcome is the idea that I don't deserve it. How many of you know that he deserves it? How many know that he's in you? How many of you know that you get to deserve it because he gets to deserve it? It's grace. It's grace. Grace deals with your future. Mercy deals with your past. We apply the mercy of God to situations that we need forgiveness for, but mercy deals with my history. Grace deals with my future. When I begin to operate and understand of how worthy he is and he chose to abide in me, I begin to realize how worthy I am to receive. Another mindset that I think we need to change is that we need to understand that God wants you to have it more than you want it. I'm going to say that one again. We have to understand that God wants you to receive a touch from him. I, I, I meet people that I feel like they, they, they sit there and it's like, oh, Lord, if you would only touch me. And he's in heaven like, I just want to touch your heart. If we could remove that right now from our mindset of him wanting to touch us. I'm going to read a lot of scriptures. I don't know how. We'll just see how many we get through, okay? John chapter 15. I'm reading from my big Bible this morning. John chapter 15. Verse 8 says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. I'm going to read that again. By this my Father is glorified. By what? That you would bear much fruit. You need to understand what that word fruit means. That is not the fruit in Galatians 5 that talks about love, joy, peace, and all that. Different fruit. This fruit is the fruit that was talked about one chapter earlier in John chapter 14, verse 12, and it says, um, is that right? Yeah, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he do because I go to my Father. So when he says, the Father is glorified by the fruit that is in you, that fruit, although Galatians 5 fruit is really important, it's not the fruit he's talking about. He's saying that when you operate in a place from the Spirit of God and you do the signs, wonders, and miracles, you give him glory. <laughs> so do you think that there is any reason on the behalf of the Trinity that they would hold back on you? Is there any reason that God would hold back on you? The devil has every reason to stop you. So let's begin to shift our focus on what's stopping me instead of why isn't God giving to me. 
Now I'm going to show you six principles that are going to uh, make some of you feel better. Because you're saying, well, there's things we have to do. Which is usually, just be careful, because usually with people that I find that is the number one mindset that is performance rooted. It drives people nuts, Grace. Just drives them nuts. <laughs> so scandalous. <laughs> you still with me? <laughs> the devil has every reason to stop you. When we receive the anointing from God, this touch from God, we get to bring him more glory. You realize that? You get to bring him glory. What a thought. You get to bring Jesus glory. We sing it all the time. You know, I want to give you glory. Let's take a step back. How? I'm showing you some things. One is when he touches your life and you begin to operate in those fruits, signs, wonders, and miracle, yes. he gets glory. Yes. Why? What's a sign? It points to something. Yes. A wonder. A wonder is when that feeling that comes over you, just, this is so great. You look at the Grand Canyon, you, that, the wonder and awe of something like that. When God moves and you begin to see signs, wonders, and miracles, it begins to say, wow. And he's up there receiving glory. He's not holding it back. It's not selfish. And let me finish my sentence. It's not selfish to want to walk in a higher anointing if your heart is to bring God glory. It's not. It's actually selfish to not care. Because the world is relying on the body of Christ to reveal the Father. The world is relying on you. You owe it to the world. They're waiting to encounter him, to experience him. And our responsibility is to say, Lord, touch me. I need more of you so I can give out more of you. It's, there's nothing more selfish than to think that I don't need more. How about I give you some principles? Do you know there's, script, there's six scriptures in the New Testament that says if, if you do this, he will assuredly answer. How many know it's a good idea to pay attention when he gives you the keys to the test before the test? <laughs> he gives you the answers before the test. He said, if you do this. The first one that I'm going to talk about was we just read it in John chapter 14, verse 13. You can write these down. He says, and whatever you ask in my name, everybody say in my name, that I will do. And the Father may be glorified in the Son. He said, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will do. That's, that's a good scripture to pay attention to. How many of you know that when we begin to pray over people, when we begin to bless people, when we begin to minister, it needs to be in the name of Jesus? 
I know some of you feel like this could be simple, but it's really important to get this because there's six that I found scriptures where he said, if you do this, I respond. And the first one is, ask in my name. Why? Because when I do it in his name, I release all of the authority behind his name. I have been, I have prayed and prayed and prayed for people before where I feel like I was getting nowhere and I just stood back and I just started saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I know that the devil doesn't like it because I've had encounters where he's tried to stop me from being able to say it. And if you ever had an encounter where you were tormented in the night and you woke up trying to say the name Jesus and you couldn't get it out, a lot of people in this room... I dealt with that more as a child. I haven't, I haven't, thankfully, in a long time. But I would wake up, and I would feel the presence of just the enemy trying to, and I would go, I, w- I couldn't get it out. And until finally, I could Jesus, and boom, it's gone. He is not too afraid of me bringing my best. He is very afraid of me bringing the name of Jesus to the fight. And so you do it in the name of Jesus. So the first thing is in Jesus' name. The second thing, if you flip over one chapter, is John chapter 15, verse 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. That's pretty good. I'm going to read it again. If you abide in me and my words in you, you will ask what you desire. And that shall be done for you. Jesus is saying this. It's a pretty risky statement. Except for he trusts the encounter in you. How many know that Jesus trusted the encounter that the apostles, the disciples were having? That was where he put his trust in them, was Jesus in them. That's a big deal. Jesus said, whatever you desire. Well, that's a big deal. What does it mean to abide in him? I I don't have time to dig into all these. I have like just a few more minutes. But what does it mean to abide in in him? I'm just going to say it this way. It's an awareness of his presence in our life. It's being aware of his presence. It's yielding our hearts to him. I do this. I try to do this most nights before I go to sleep. I lay there, I, I literally just, I don't know how to say it, but I, I literally align my heart with him. I yield my heart to him. Abiding in him is not a, it's not a mental process. It's something that comes from the heart and your mind catches up. The renewing of the mind happens as a, a byproduct of yielding your heart to him. That's why when you come into a worship service and you go to a conference or something like that and you get absolutely blown away, you come back and you think differently. Why? You didn't go there and say, Lord, most of us don't go there and intentionally try to think differently. We go there and he touches our heart. And from that, the renewing of our mind happens. I I, I youth pastored for like 15 years and I went through some rough seasons of teenagers. Rough seasons. Rough, 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 where I'd be like, what is wrong with these kids? 
<clears throat> and uh, <laughs> and uh, I remember <clears throat> I hit a point where I was like, all right, I've given everything I've got to give. And it still ain't clicking. And I remember I heard a statement that changed my whole ministry that said, what you preach is what you get. And I realized I continually preached at them and all the things they needed to change instead of preaching into them who they are. And I, I youth pastor, yep. <laughs> that one's free. You can take that one. But I went in and I decided, I decided, my wife and I decided, we just have to get them in the presence of the Lord. We just have to expose them to the presence of the Lord. And so we made it our new intention, just how do we get them in the presence? Because I knew if I could get them in the presence, their hearts would begin to yield. Your heart will bow down to the one that you're in the presence of. And when your heart begins to bow, your mind begins to change. And as you begin to get in that place where you abide in him and his words abide in you, you begin to think differently. And he said, when you get to that point, why do you think that he said, anything you desire, I'll give it to you? Because he knows if you're actually abiding in him, the thoughts that you desire will be birthed from him. I don't get to abide in him on a Sunday morning and just walk out and desire anything. Because if that's the case, I'm not abiding the correct way. When I abide in him and my heart bows to him, all of a sudden my desires line up with him. And he says, when you're in that place, your desires, guess what? They're my desires too. Abide in him. And he says, I'll answer all the desires of your heart. Let's keep moving. Faith. Having faith. I don't have time to read all these scriptures, but the Bible says that faith pleases God. I'm going to read one to you. Hebrews 11, chapter chapter 1. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. How many have heard that verse? It's pretty popular. It's really catching on. (laughs) <laughs> oh, that was stupid. All right. <laughs> chapter, chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. I want to talk to you about that really quick because that is a confusing scripture. It can be really confusing to understand faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I want you to think of it this way. When you, and I've, I've said this before, when you go to a restaurant and you, uh, it's a restaurant that you sit down at and you order your meal and how many know a lot of them have those little uh, things you put on your table, numbers, you know, that identify where you're at. You pay, they give you a number. You're waiting on your food. How many understand that that little pager is a substance of something that you're still waiting for? But how many also understand that that little pager is proof that it's been paid for? So somebody can come up to you and say, you can be sitting there and they say, why are you you sitting down? You you haven't ordered your food yet. Well, I ordered it. No, you didn't. There's no food coming here. Oh, look at my pager. 
It's a substance. Now, that word substance is an interesting word. I don't know where I put it. I don't even know where it is, but it was good. I want you to understand that substance, it's not like this, how do I say this? It's not like this floaty thing. Like, ooh, there's a substance floating. No, like, like it's like, this is a substance. Like, you can go look it up, Google it. That's what I did. <laughs> He's saying that faith is not something that's just this, ooh, there's faith. It's actually a substance. What does that mean? How does heaven know where to deliver the food? When heaven's looking to deliver something, it looks for the substance, the faith, that says, oh, they're waiting for it. They're waiting for it. They're waiting for it. And they say, well, it's already been paid for. Oh, just felt my arms go numb. You need to get this. Because when you begin to understand it, you begin to get that faith. When I have faith, there's not a question if it's coming. When I go and I pay and I get that little pager, sometimes I wonder when it's coming. <laughs> but I don't normally wonder if it's coming. <laughs> because I say, I've already paid for it. I've got this little substance that says it's coming to my table. If we could get a church full of people with faith, that when heaven is looking to say, where do I, where do I serve what I want to serve right now? And God says, faith pleases me. He says, where's faith? Because that's where I'm going to take the food. Faith pleases God. I could stay on faith for an hour. I can feel it. I'm not going to rush. I will say this. Get your kids in 20 minutes. And if you need to leave, you may leave. But I, I don't feel like the Lord is going to allow me to rush today. Um, I will, we'll see where we get. Two blind men in Matthew 9, 27 called out for Jesus for healing. People shushed them. Jesus responds to them and tells them it was their faith that brought the miracle. It was your faith. It was your substance that the miracle knew where to go. The lady with the issue of blood. Oh, I love this story. Oh, how Jesus operates. He's like, he's in a crowd of people. If everyone were to crowd up, and I know it's super anti-COVID, but if we were all to be crammed in and they're all trying to get to Jesus and somebody, he doesn't know what happens except for he says, who touched me? What's the difference? Tons of people were touching him. Somebody pulled on it because they had faith. And they pulled on Jesus. And he said, I don't know, but somebody touched me. And when they touched me, it pulled their miracle out of me. What happened? She had faith. When she came to Jesus, she brought the substance that drew heaven to the point where Jesus presents it in a way, I, I, I don't know if I could properly articulate this, but he presents it in a way that he didn't even plan on it coming out of him. 
Like she just pulled it. Faith. Faith. I'll stop there on that one. But faith is aggressive. Faith is not a pushover. Uh, I'm going to happen to fly through a couple of these. Number four is... <laughs> I know what you meant, but I also know what it sounded like. <laughs> I'm going to fly through this. Awesome. <laughs> this is why you got to know people's hearts. You get really offended. <laughs> Another one is that we, we live pleasing to him. You can write this down, 1 John chapter 3, 21. Living pleasing to him, though, don't get this confused up with performing. How to, if you read the scripture, um, if you read and just write it down, 1 John 3, 21 through 23, if you read that, it says that you follow his commandment. But then it goes on and it says, what is his commandment? This is important. He said, here is his commandment. Believe on Jesus and love one another as he loves you. That is the commandment. He said, if you'll do that, I'll answer your prayers. You can't separate the two. Oh, I wish I had three hours to talk to you. Maybe three weeks. Another one is being fervent in prayer. I do need to read some of these. James 5, verse 16 says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Then the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That word effective comes from the word energeo. It means to be energized. be energized the fervent prayers they energize your spirit and it says he listens to those he answers those number six the last one that I'm going to hit on is that it says in 1 John 5 Verse 14. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have. The petitions that we have asked of him. <laughs> this verse. Oh, man. John was on to something here. This is a big deal. I laid out in the first part of the sermon the path of, of why we need a touch from God because it says that when you have that fruit, you give glory to him. The passage here goes on and says that when you know that you are asking in his will, it says that he hears you. And then it says this. It says that you already have it. Notice it doesn't say that you will have. 
You need to understand that you have it. <laughs> the devil doesn't have the authority to take something from you. He does have the power to lie to you. His name is the accuser. What does the accuser do? He gets you to focus on him. Because if he can get you to focus on him, he can get your eyes off of what you have. He does not have authority to take what God gave you. Some of you aren't sure about that. It's okay. I wouldn't have been sure about that 10 years ago. You have the authority to give away what God has given you. He does not have authority to take it from you. Don't worry about the devil coming in and ripping something away from you. He's not that great. He's not that great. Here's what he does, though. He will come in. And the Bible says to take every thought captive if it's not something that lines up with the will of God. What he does do is he comes in and he releases thoughts. What is these thoughts? Imagine, here's how I see it. Um, there's, a, there's a paintball field that used to be like near where I lived years ago. And if you drive by it when they're not having a game, you see all these like deflated looking balloons all over a field. How many of you know that once they blow them up, the whole terrain of the field changes? The enemy cannot come in and take from you what God has given you. But he can come in and put thoughts in your head that strongholds are erected. And then you begin to not see what God has for you. It never left you. He just said it here. He said, if you pray for my will, I will give you what you already have. Kind of a weird statement. I will give you what you already have. What's the point? I will get your eyes back on what you already have. All right, let's bring this thing in for a landing. One more thing I want to cover. It's important for us to be aware of what realm God has called us to. I see this one rob a lot of people. We get caught up comparing ourselves to others. And it can rob us. When we get into the place of comparing ourselves to other people, we begin wanting what they have. And in that place, we become discontent in an unhealthy way because we want something that they have for a realm that you're not called to have. Some people are called all different things. I'm not even gonna begin to try to list them off. Comparing yourself to someone else will never work. You'll always be a B version of them. You're never going to be better at being them than them. <laughs> I see this a lot. People get jealous and they say, I want that. Now, is that okay at all? Well, let's, let's, let's break it down just a little bit more because it sounds like it might contradict itself because at the same time, we can't be complacent. Yeah. <laughs> Are you confused yet? There's a big difference between satisfaction, excuse me, there is a big difference between dissatisfaction of the spirit and dissatisfaction of the soul. 
The Holy Spirit provokes dissatisfaction of the Spirit. He wants you to be dissatisfied. He wants you to want more. He provokes that. The enemy provokes dissatisfaction of the soul. He'll begin to come in and say, oh, they're better than you. Oh, they have more than you. Blah, 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 blah. time to activate because I just can't get through all this one of the things that destroys one of the things that absolutely destroy unworthiness I mean destroys it is sonship and daughtership destroys it I don't know. my kids don't have to ever wonder from me if they're worthy to get food that day from my house. <laughs> I, um, we got this little cat. I swore up and down I'd never get a cat again. And the cat found me. Oh, that cat. He has since conquered my heart. Uh. <laughs> Anyways, when he came, he, he was a stray, and he had been eight or eight or eight weeks old, something like that, eight or nine weeks old, and we found him injured and torn up, and like we've nursed him back to health and all that stuff. I'm more of a dog person. Yeah. They listen. <laughs> you can look at a cat and go, no, and they're just like. Knock the cup off. Like, did you hear me? I tell my dog no, and it's like, oh, anything you want, Dad. Anything. My heart. <laughs> Dogs have performance issues, but <laughs> um, this cat has kind of still got scavenger mode, like still like stray mode, like in a sense of like it's always worried when's its next meal coming. Like, like very concerned. Like, trying to take everyone else's food out of their bowl and, like, it, like tries to eat the dog food. I'm like, it's not your food. You have a bowl of food here. My dog, we got my dog when it was, like, really young, too young. They even lied to us, the people that sold us the dog, and said it was older than it was. Because they said, oh, yeah, it's on food and all that. And it hadn't come off the bottle yet, like, off the mama. So we had to bottle feed it. But because of that, my dog is known from a very young age. It always is provided for. When I put the food out, my dog's like, I'll get up when I want it. <laughs> She's like, I'm good. I'm not hungry yet. My cat hears it and it's like, <laughs> I'm like, and there's this mindset. There's this mindset that I, 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 I see that we can fall into if we're not careful that will rob us actually from the kingdom. And it's the mindset of an unhealthy desperation. I get from good hearts, we say things like, I'm desperate for God. I get it. I, I, there's no judgment on you. But from an unhealthy place, I don't think that God ever wanted to be recognized as a father that someone had to be desperate for him. Yeah. Yeah. I just know my God. Amen. I know my dad. And I know that when we get this, I'm a child thing down, 
and he's a good dad thing down, most of the battle's over. Because that 80%, that's gone. Whoa. All right, let's stand up. I'm, I don't know if you got anything from that. I just dumped on you. Um, I just dumped like a massive barrel on you. There's going, to be some, there's going to be some miracles that break out here at the end. Um, again, uh, don't forget your kids. <laughs> they need you. I know you may not need them for a little longer, but they need you. <laughs> um, all right, let's just see. Oh, oh, I forgot something. Really important for everybody watching. I'll just quote it. Romans 11. Paul talks about his desire to be with the people of Rome. He opens up this incredible book with, my heart longs to be with you. I felt this for the people that, there's a lot of people that genuinely can't be in service yet. And I read that and I felt Paul's longing. And I felt for people that are watching, I'm just going to talk to everybody on the live stream for a moment. There's a lot of people that watch this, that their heart, they long to be here this morning. Like, like Paul said, I long to be with you. And then as I began to pray, I began to study the scripture, and I saw an exit, excuse me, Numbers. I can't remember. I'll have to look it up. But in Numbers, we see where the Holy Spirit, where Moses and the leaders came together. And it said that the Holy Spirit took the anointing that was on them and placed it on everyone else. And I felt there was a word for people that can't be here, that God is saying that as those that are able to be here gather, he's going to take the anointing this morning and he's actually going to release it. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's really important you get this because if you feel like you always have to have someone physically touch you, it will rob you. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen people do that in conferences where the main guest is praying and I get it, but like some people are like, he didn't touch me touch yourself like just 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 pray over yourself like if you need to touch i heard a preacher one time say somebody kept saying i never fall down when you pray for me he said well then lay down and i'll pray for you and then you'll never know if you didn't or did fall <laughs> i never fall just start on the ground we'll never know so Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, everyone that's watching this that's not in the room, I ask that as you did in the book of Numbers where you took the Spirit of God that was on. Listen, there, is, there are people in this room that the anointing is on. And we ask that you would take that and impart it to those that are watching right now. Holy Spirit, impart that. Words of knowledge are gonna begin to flow here in a moment. We've already had one this morning. Uh, uh, Josh, what'd you say? God was healing... Arth, what was the third one? Okay, God's healing, arthritis, discomfort in joints and bones, and one other one, inflammation. Thank you. God's God's doing that.